Welcome to Apollo's Muses, the COVID culture and cash series. Hi, how are you? I'm David Burgess. I'm a fundraising consultant at Apollo Fundraising in the UK. Welcome to the second episode of my COVID culture and cash series of podcasts. Throughout this series, I'm chatting to arts fundraisers across the UK, getting them to share their stories of how they're continuing to fundraise during the coronavirus pandemic. I'm really interested in sharing examples of how organisations are engaging their supporters at this time, any new ideas they might be trying, and what response they're getting from their donors. In this episode, I'm chatting to Sarah Miguel, Sarah's Head of Business Development at the People's History Museum in Manchester. If you don't know the People's History Museum, they describe themselves as the National Museum of Democracy. Their collection and exhibitions chart over 200 years of political movements and activism. They describe it as telling the story of the people behind the ideas worth fighting for. As well as being a great museum, they have one of my all-time favourite sponsorship propositions. It's called the Radicals Programme, and people can donate to sponsor a leading radical thinker of their choice. One of the things I really like about it is it's not just limited to a prescribed list, so people can suggest their own radical thinkers, their own heroes, people they really respect and admire. But the main thing I like is that I think there's so much you can learn about the supporters by who they choose to sponsor. I think that two-way makes it a really exciting proposition. As you'll hear from my conversation with Sarah, uh, the museum's hugely reliant on earned income through hires and from visitor generated income. So the coronavirus closure during lockdown is really hitting them hard. So I'm really grateful to Sarah for agreeing to talk to me about their plans for fundraising at this time as they try to secure the funding they need from other places. Hi everybody, welcome to episode two of this COVID culture and cash series of podcasts. Really great to have Sarah Miguel from the People's History Museum up in Manchester joining me today. How are you Sarah? I'm good, obviously these are strange times but trying to stay positive and stay busy. Can you tell us a bit about your role and what, what is it you do at the museum? Um, So I'm Head of Business Development. Um, My role, unlike most business development roles, uh, doesn't just cover fundraising. So I also look after commercial income, which includes our um, venue hire, cafe and retail operations. Um, Digital, um, looking after our digital strategy and encouraging everybody to play their part in that and a marketing team. Um, So particularly that the marketing and fundraising link for me is really important. Um, and I think more organisations should do that and have that closer bridge. Mm. It's great when you get those departments working well, isn't it? And it's, uh, it, it always becomes really frustrating when they're butting up against each other. And, and I think people lose sight, they're often talking to the, the same people a lot of the time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been, in my post, I've been in my post two years now. Um, yeah, I think almost, almost to the day, actually, two years at People's History Museum. And prior to that, I was actually in grant making um, for BBC Children in Need. Um, oh, amazing. So, yeah, so for me, my background isn't fundraising, but I have a different perspective of it and knowing what funders look for, which is very useful. <laughs> so completely off topic uh which side of the fence is easier than giving the money away or asking for it oh, it's definitely much easier to give it away <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not as easy as it sounds though there's a lot of rigor so. 
so you'll be keeping an eye on the um the upcoming children in need and comic relief mm. events and i'll have my ears on <laughs> what what would you have been doing if we weren't all in lockdown <laughs> so usually i am um based in the office but my role also involves a fair bit of travel um so we would have been making progress with our program we were just about to sort of launch our migration program this year um as as part of that lots of the fundraising was around migration um and so both the message and our focus has had to shift obviously so uh, the team are really creative and exploring new ways to take content to our audiences online but not not just push it out if we don't know our audiences want it so really understand what people want and need from us at this point so in, in terms of fundraising for, for the museum what does this look like what did this look like prior to coronavirus what yeah. are the main sources of income for you um, so we have a pretty strong and continuing um, individual giving scheme. Um, it's quite known about in the sector because of its success. So in around 2015, when we had a lot of our funding cut and were in a really difficult situation facing potential closure, we launched Join the Radicals. Um, and that scheme um, is an individual giving scheme from £30 up to £3,000. Um, and at the higher level, you're sponsoring a radical hero throughout history that you either select from our list re related to our collection um, or you can nominate somebody. Um, so at the time and continuing, we've seen success with that scheme and it really resonates with people and brings to life what people love about PHM. Um, I guess our focus over the last couple of years has been making sure that we continue with um, engagement and retention as well as acquisition on that scheme. Um, and there's been points where we've considered should we do something else now is it time to launch a different campaign but actually this campaign works really well and every now and then it just needs um sort of ignition and changing the messaging but the principles behind it and the levels of giving seem to work so we're sticking with those um much of my time at this point would have been on join the radical scheme anyway but we're changing the ask for, um, to be much more sensitive of the situation in terms of the, the current radical scheme, and I'm going to ask you in a second about that, that, that change in direction. One of the things I've always liked to, about it when, I, when I've used it as examples in training is it gives people a chance to sort of find someone that mirrors their own values, their own beliefs. What are the types of, of character, what are, what are the personalities that are particularly popular with your supporters? Um, so I do think that um, we have the sort of more famous history makers currently sponsored so people really want to be associated associated with the um mary wollstonecroft and the pankhursts and alan turing the names that people know um, so this year in particular we're really highlighting the lesser known names to say stand behind these heroes who made change so we've just had jay abendasai sponsored who led the Greenwich strike in the 80s um, and because of our focus on migration, we've chosen 10 radicals, all with a link to migration, to really raise their profile. Because um, it isn't just about those big heroes we all know about, but the ordinary people, of course. I mean, it's all, always really lovely when somebody does nominate someone. Yeah, some of our radical sponsors have nominated family members of theirs who have made a real difference in society. So one of my um, donors wouldn't mind me saying, I'm sure, but he sponsors his late wife, Brenda Dean. She led a trade union, was the first woman to do so. That's always really touching to hear their stories, see their photos um, and build the breadth in our radical scheme. It's, it is such a lovely scheme that because there is that sort of two-way nature to it and it's not a completely off-the-shelf 
um, sort of one size fits fits all approach. But you mentioned you're looking to change the messaging now to to reflect the fact obviously we're in lockdown and you know, there's a huge amount going on. So what what do you envisage that looking like? Um, so even before the lockdown was announced by government, I was raising the question, do we want to fundraise on this? If we know we face closure and if that happens, do we want to launch a fundraiser at that point? Um, and the decision was made not to. Um, there are so many charities in need right now and so many asks, let's not cloud the message. Um, I guess for lots of us, this, this quarantine is going on longer than expected and certainly looking at the impact this could have on the economy and on the museum, um, we are going to need to fundraise to make sure that we can um, continue to um, carry out our sort of community focused work. And um, so we're now revisiting that, but conscious that there are lots of uh, charities making the ask, lots of really worthy causes to give to. Um, so our focus is very much on the community impact we have and what we can't do to support communities and support freelancers um, during this period. I usually would be fundraising to sponsor the program um, and make sure we can have a temporary exhibition. Um, it's much more about the impact on people that this will have. Um, what's that process been like then of putting that messaging together and how has that been different to how you'd normally approach devising fundraising campaigns? Um, so usually I would start because we um, fundraise around the program uh, speaking to the program team and getting their messaging about what does the program look like and then um, I'll work with our development group on sort of spinning that into a impact-led ask. Um, this time we uh, I, I organized a power hour with Michelle Wright from Cause4 mm. um, so if you get in touch with arts fundraising and philanthropy if you want to benefit from like one hour chatting through what your ideas are that really helped me develop okay these are the areas of focus um, it is appropriate to fundraise if we do it sensitively how how can we phrase that ask to make sure it is sensitive um, so where we've got to at the moment because we've not let, yet launched the campaign is making sure that we have various versions for different audiences different platforms um, making sure that ask is sensitive um, and making sure that the amount we're saying we need is really honest so we're looking at the gap in our budget, looking at what we might expect from emergency funding, and then only going for what we actually need. That's really interesting. How, how have you approached that modelling then? What's, because obviously there are so many unknowns at this point. Yeah, so we've financially forecast um, potential sort of impact to income up to the end of September. Um, and that's on the basis of um, no visitor donations in the building, um, no income from our retail and venue hire operations. Um, and venue hire in particular is very strong for us. Um, so forecasting that loss, we are looking at over 200k loss between that period. We're not asking the public to help us with that whole figure. So we're gonna be looking at things like Arts Council emergency funding. Um, so when that guidance is released and we can really tease out what we are asking for, what we can expect, we're in a position to take to the public what our honest ask is. Um, I'll, I'll maybe tell you a little bit about the um, campaign ideas. So, yeah, so we obviously need really concise messaging for social media. Um, and that messaging is usually a little softer because people aren't existing supporters necessarily, just sort of followers. Um, a much more direct messaging uh, straight to our donors and straight to existing supporters. 
Um, we are very much focusing on community action. We're pulling out stories from our team about the people that are taking part in their mutual aid networks around COVID um, and making the link that ordinary people make the change throughout history and that's the same now as ever. People's History Museum also tells the story of the founding of the NHS. Um, so obviously with NHS High on the agenda and um, something worth protecting, it's really important that we bring those collections objects out and use that. But making sure that that message goes to audiences that will resonate with it to probably in our general newsletter. And then um, thinking about sort of an I Love PHM campaign for those already support us. Do you think in future years, when you look at the Radicals programme, you're going to see lots more nominations for NHS workers, for key workers, reflecting the contribution that people have made during this time? Yeah, I would hope so. Maybe we'll um, get that fundraiser, the uh, 100-year-old man he is now. Captain <laughs> Tom Moore, too. yes. Yeah, Tom Moore. Um, I, th I think so. We already have some of the sort of uh, classic names in there, like Nye Bevan. Um, and um, there's the um, beverage report in our main galleries and that was the paper that was the founding principles for the NHS. Um, so things like that, we, we really like there to be a collections link through the radical scheme, but of course people can nominate their own heroes at this point. Um, there is a, a small approvals process in case people nominate people that don't fit with our principles. But. And have you had much contact with existing supporters, uh, either individuals, corporates, trusts, during this time? And if you have, what, what messages have you been getting from them? Uh, we've had a fair bit of contact from all of our existing trust and foundation funders. Um, most of them have been um, amazingly supportive in saying our focus is on supporting existing grantees. We don't expect you to deliver what we've agreed. What flexibility do you need? What can you deliver? What timescales will this work to? Um, and really giving us the space to work that out. Um, so that, that has been um, really great. And the whole sector of grant making is coming together to sort of celebrate best practice around that. Um, with our individual givers, we've um, had people that haven't supported us before, but know that we're closed, come to us to ask how they can support us. Um, and we're making sure that the response to that isn't just financial, but by sharing our content, sharing what we're doing and keep our profile raised during this period of closure. Um, and I haven't heard too much yet from our existing sponsors. Um, I am going to be in touch with all of them because some are in the vulnerable category. I want to make sure everybody's okay. Um, I guess that's part of our messaging we're developing to start that conversation. That must be so heartening having existing supporters come to you saying how can we help and sort of proactively seeing there's going to be a problem and wanting to to do something about that yeah very much so and we usually um of all our sort of fundraising sources we do very well from donation boxes um, and from people joining the radicals but not much of that is online um, lots of it comes through people visiting the museum and feeling inspired um, and with the museum closed we've seen a spike in digital donations through our website and that's brilliant um, because as yet it's unprompted. So when it comes to launching the campaign how are you going to administer those donations given that you can't get into the office? Is it going to be purely through digital? Have you got what, what plans have you got in place? to? to yeah so um, we um, We'll be promoting our sort of um, supporters page on our website is the key way. Um, that isn't going to work for everybody though. So we can still accept checks um, and we are um, having some staff go into the office to process some essential bits and pieces at social distance levels. Um, and in particular, I'm sure lots of other museums are facing this. We have to keep our 
uh, water supply regulated to prevent legionnaires. Um, so we do have staff occasionally in the building so we can process checks, um, but it's much easier for us at the moment for online donations um, and to get a prompter thank you as well. How many people are there in the, in the team at PHM within, within the fundraising and business development side? Is it just you or have you got people you're working with? So in my team, we, uh, there's eight of us in my team um, and we have our venue hire, retail, marketing and IT. Um, and there is one other sort of fundraising apprentice that supports the radical scheme. And so how are you keeping in touch with them during this time and how are you keeping your team's morale up? Um, we have organised sort of across PHM, which isn't a huge team, um, to have uh, FICO, which is a sort of let's stop for tea and a break and a chat every Tuesday and Thursday. And that's totally optional, but just to make sure that people have a place where they can stay connected and um, not just talk business. Um, and then we have a team team meeting via Zoom. Um, we've done two so far, and that's the first way we've ever conducted meetings like that in my team. Um, it's really lovely to see everyone's faces when we've not seen them for a while. Um, and we're in the process currently of setting up Microsoft Teams. So I hear good things about Microsoft Teams for collaboration. You can do video calls on it, but you can also collaborate on documents. Um, and it plugs in with Trello, which is my favorite like productivity <laughs> tool. <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, for me, that is a part of the solution. But um, I'm, I'm quite happy that things are running at speed with our digital journey. Suddenly, um, it isn't just, oh yeah, that can happen in a few months. These things need to happen now. Um, and I think the changes will last that we're seeing. Yeah, I think there's going to be some, just a, a kind of completely different way of working, even when we come out of lockdown. Thinking about that, are there any other positives that you've seen just over these last couple of weeks that you really hope will continue beyond uh, COVID-19 and when we were able to go back to whatever normal looks like on the other side of this? Yeah, so um, I think we are seeing a, there's always good buy-in at PHM across all of the teams to understand why fundraising matters. Um, but we are seeing an increase in that support across the team. Um, it's obvious that we're taking a financial hit at this point while we're closed. And so everybody is keen to play their part in that, which is great. Um, and as well, people are um, more creative than ever and really innovating in the way that we can do digital content. Um, so whereas usually much of that would fall to our marketing team, there's a lot of hands on deck at the moment and making sure that those ideas fit with our strategy and work for our audiences. Um, but we're in a sort of position where we can just test things and try things and see what works. Um, and for me personally, I'm a sort of go-go person where I'll finish my working day and go to meet some friends and then go to the theatre and do stuff all the time. So it's been a big shock in my life to have to slow down and I'm uh, grateful for it in a weird oh, way. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I, yes, I want to go out and see my friends and see my family. But on the other side, I'm gardening, I'm doing home improvements and spending time with my husband. Um, and I'm appreciative of the time to slow down as well. Oh, that's good. Because I've got... So, so much respect for senior managers, uh, people in leadership roles at the moment, because there's just so much pressure, both from the organisation point of view, but also looking after the teams. So great that you've been able to find a bit of time to focus on just those things that, that make you happy. <laughs> yeah, we are sharing lots of mental health support um, 
bits and pieces with our team. There's, there's lots out there and some really uh, good sort of webinars and sessions happening, looking after your own resilience, looking after your team's resilience. Um, so that's super important. Um, I guess we were already looking into things like mental health first aid and mental health awareness, but even more so now, um, everybody's handling this in a different way and some days are harder than others, so we have to be there to support the teams. So if you were talking to arts fundraisers who are sort of not really sure what they should be, be doing, what advice, what guidance would you give to them? Are there any lessons from the, the couple of weeks where you've been working on this at the museum that you'd want to share with them? Um, as, as a starting point, I would uh, question whether it is appropriate to launch a fundraising campaign right now, and is it appropriate? It might be that for some organisations that aren't as hard hit, that they should put all their energy into donor engagement and making sure that those existing supporters understand what's going on and are brought along with that journey. So even though we're planning to launch that campaign, much of my focus in time will be on our existing supporters. Um, because I don't think now is the time to focus on acquisition. Um, and then aside from that, if, if it is appropriate to launch a fundraising campaign, make sure that it's sensitive uh, to what's going on in the world if possible connect it to what's going on and what people need it's a, a really interesting point that just because you can launch a, a campaign doesn't mean you necessarily should and yeah. especially given that we don't know how long this will last i think i think absolutely right getting that that timing right Pre-COVID, pre I had been planning to launch a legacy campaign around now, um, and that is completely on hold. So whilst we would uh, welcome legacy gifts um, and for people to make their will with the People's History Museum, and that's not one we're going to be pushing out. It doesn't feel right or sensitive right now. Yeah, I know uh, Ian McQuillan and the team at Regare have been uh, researching into the ethics of running legacy acquisition at this time. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they say and Michael Rosen and Professor Russell James have just launched a paper as well, which looks at both the advantages and disadvantages of doing that. Um, I spoke to a um, charity recently. I guess this is part of what's keeping my sanity is I'm not just connected with my team, but do stay connected with the wider sector. So I'm booking in Zoom calls just to have a bit of cathartic. Yeah, we're experiencing that too. Um, and to get more diversity in problem solving, it's really useful. Um, but I spoke to a charity who said that um, they're not sure about launching a fundraising campaign right now. They really want to as a fundraiser, but the chief exec doesn't. Um, and it's really uncomfortable calling them a charity, even though they are a charity. So I just thought, oh, that's really interesting. It's not a problem we face, but I can understand that for some more commercially appearing organisations, that charity is still a bad word out there. So that's a huge battle to overcome, especially now. Yeah, and I was talking to Samir Savant about this on, on the last call, and I think arts organisations for ages have been trying to be seen as charities and trying to say, yeah, we've got to get across the fact that we're, we're a charity. And as you say, sometimes that word can be really loaded and people can really push back against that. Uh, but actually, I think it's that key thing of the fact that as organisations, we need help. We need our supporters to come in and, and make this work possible, whether it's the exhibitions, the work in the community, uh, and not being afraid to be really vocal about that and really uh, confident in saying that we need that, that help. We've had um, stronger involvement from the beginning in this sort of fundraising plan from our co-chair, so making sure you involve the board in that messaging, I would say, is also important. 
and and have they been supportive of that yeah very much so and um sort of thought-provoking posing questions just making sure that we tease everything out that we need to think about um, and their background isn't fundraising it's sort of more branding and um, thinking about it with a different spin on things as well is really useful and um, plus when it comes to finally executing this campaign we'll be looking to our trustees to help so when when do you envisage the campaign launching when's it going to going to drop um, so I will, uh, once we finalise the message, um, probably early next week, I'll start uh, using that messaging one-to-one -one with our existing supporters and donors. Um, and then we have a newsletter due to go out next week as well, so that will have some of the messaging in. But it's not really like one big launch day, it's sort of seeding that message into all the right places softly. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about in terms of the campaign and in terms of the messaging? Yeah. I wanted to mention an article I read, um, a really useful article, thought-provoking, not necessarily uh, fundraising specific, but do bear it in mind with a fundraising context. So Andrew McIntyre that runs um, Maurice Hargreaves McIntyre um, has done an article in Medium called Culture and Lockdown with Can Do Digital, Can We Do Strategy? And it really helps to think about not just pushing loads of content out there when audiences don't want it, but making sure we take a step back and have a really thought-through approach to engaging with audiences and that very much applies to fundraising too. Oh fantastic. We'll try and find the link for that and share that out when, when we put the this podcast out. On that digital side, is there anything that you've seen, any uh, sort of live streamed performances, uh, virtual tours of museums that have really stood out to you that you'd recommend to other people that they should definitely go and check out? Um, so I have been watching uh, National Theatre Live, as has most of the nation. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's been brilliant. Um, Opera North are also doing some of their performances. I'm not a regular opera goer, so that's really uh, interesting for me to be able to access that. And uh, from the comfort of my home, I'm really enjoying that. Um, I've had a look at some of the virtual museums where you can walk around. And for me, that doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite capture it enough. Um, and then at People's History Museum, we've been busy sort of planning and testing live streams. So we have a My First Protest song session that usually runs in the museum for naught to threes. Uh, we've broadened that out, so it's open to everybody to take part in and done our first online one of that. So we will be repeating that and doing more online streams. And for those that want a bit more sort of brain stimulation, we've got a um, MOOC, a mass online open course called From Peterloo to the Pankhursts. Um, so that's like so over several weeks you can learn and get in depth with people's history. Oh, we'll definitely make sure we share the, the links for that uh, with this as well because I'm sure there'll be people really interested in, in that. My, my final note because the world has suddenly gone so digital is to make sure that you connect offline too so for me that means gardening, my jigsaw, uh, home improvements, um, I'm cooking recipes that take longer that I wouldn't usually have time for. <laughs> so um, making sure it connects offline too. Any favourite recipes or anything that you're particularly looking forward to trying? Um, I'm trying sort of world cuisines. We've been trying a few Moroccan dishes, <laughs> getting the tagine out. Um, and uh, there's one called Berber lentils that I really like, which is quite uh, straightforward, but very nice spiced lentil dish. It's in a weird coincidence, the last time I was up in Manchester, I was doing some work with Islington Mill and I was staying on site there and on one of the night, the last night there, we all came together and someone cooked spice lentils. So oh, nice. For some reason, spice lentils always reminds me of Manchester anyway. So when, when the world is over, we will all 
convene on Manchester for Spice Lentils and to celebrate being able to see each other. Absolutely. Um, to all the fundraisers out there, I do urge you to start thinking about reopening already. So even though it's at least three, week, three weeks away, um, it could be much longer. We're already starting that planning process and I don't think it's too early to do that. So what do those plans look like? What, what kind of things are you looking to put in place then for, for reopening? Um, so we're very lucky to have um, Bernard Donoghue on our board of trustees who leads up Alva for um, leading visitor attractions. So I've had access um, to some of their learning around what the big um, leading visitor attractions are thinking about, um, whether everything will reopen at once, and if it doesn't, what might we be able to do? Would we accept cash, for example? It might be that we can open the museum to visitors but limit numbers, not do big events. Um, so starting to think around that and how it, it isn't just that suddenly we're reopened again. But that it might be that we are in the office but can't open to the public and, and various different options. Do you think that's going to have an impact on fundraising as well? Because I, it sort of seems there's this danger that the government will say, okay, lockdown's over, your museums, concert halls, theatres, you're all free to open, at which point the Arts Council money, emergency money stops, the Heritage Fund emergency money stops. It sort of stops being a thing in donors' heads. But actually that nervousness about going back into those spaces and being around large groups of people, I think will continue long after that. Do you think yeah, that's that something as fundraisers that we need to start contemplating as well? Yeah, and I definitely think um, places like theatres where you're much uh, tighter together are going to see more of an impact with that. The predictions are that of visitor attractions, those that are sort of open air and outdoors will see the biggest boost because people really want to get outside, especially now. Um, and then after that, it will be free attractions that really benefit from um, no more quarantine. So as the free attraction, that, that bodes well, but it might not turn into visitors because people will be nervous. Even if they feel comfortable in, in the museum, the public transport to get there might not feel comfortable. Um, so there's all these considerations. Um, and certainly financial forecasting, it doesn't just restart as usual when we reopen. We'll see an economic impact for a long time. It's so, so much unknown, which makes it difficult to plan, but also really important to start thinking about yeah. how to address that as, as Let, let's, let's grasp onto those little uh, glimmers of hope around innovation and doing things differently and making sure that we can continue to be creative. So. That's what I'm grasping onto. Yeah, and um, well, if people have been looking for those creative options, haven't they, at this time? More people singing online, taking part, and trying to learn new skills. So I think it, it, it shows just how important engaging with arts and culture really is, particularly at times like this. So I think, mm -hmm. as you say, people can really, really need that response when they can get back out. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed it's, it's not a long-term it's fingers crossed that we can still have as many arts and cultural organisations there for them on the Absolutely. other side of this. Sarah, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. I'm so grateful to you for giving up your, your time because I know there's a huge amount that you've got to be thinking about focusing on and not just cooking, cooking the spice lentils, looking after the team as well. <laughs> um, so we wish you all the very best of luck and look forward to being able to visit the museum again. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing so many faces when we reopen. <laughs>
She mentioned a few articles and events during our conversation, so I'm going to include links to as many as I can on the Apollo Fundraising website. Uh, you can find them at apollofundraising.com forward slash podcast. I think it was really interesting hearing Sarah talk about the process the museum's gone through in planning this fundraising appeal. One of the telling things I think was that, that move from thinking, is it appropriate, is it right to fundraise at this time, through to agreeing actually it's, it's absolutely okay to fundraise at this time as long as you get the message right, as long as you are sensitive to the people you're talking to. I also think it's really interesting how they've been really careful about the timing for this. So they haven't rushed into it, they're waiting until they can go out with as much information as they can to supporters that helps their donors to really see what the need is and what difference they'll play. I completely appreciate not all organisations are in that same position. Some have had to move much quicker than that. Uh, but People's History Museum, using the fact they've got a bit of time on their side to develop a message and go out with an ask that is going to be really compelling for their supporters. I really hope Sarah will come and chat to us again a couple of weeks down the line after the campaign's gone live because it'd be great to hear how that appeal has been working. As I mentioned, I'm really keen to chat to as many people as possible, collect as many stories as we can during this time. Um, I'd love to find out what you're up to. So if you've got a story to share, please let me know. I'd love to have you on the podcast and talk to you about, about what your organisation's doing. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at David Burgess FR, or you can email me as david.burgess at apollofundraising.com. I'd also love to hear any feedback you've got about the podcasts we've done so far. Uh, I'm completely new to this, I've got no idea what I'm doing, so I'd love to hear any comments about what works for you, what doesn't, any questions you'd like me to ask, any things you wish I'd stop doing, whatever it is, get in touch. Thanks again to Sarah for giving up her time today. That's it for this episode. I'll be back really soon with the next one. In the meantime, I'm sending huge amounts of strength, positive vibes to everybody out there continuing to fundraise for their organisations at this time. I know it's really difficult. Please keep going and thank you so much for everything you're doing. Take care and see you soon. Mm -hmm.